Welcome to Six Feet from Normal, a podcast dedicated to covering the untold stories of the COVID-19 pandemic, brought to you by reporters at Medill News Service. I'm Sarah Wilson. I'm Joe Snell. I'm Alec Bose. This week, we look at how the novel coronavirus is impacting sports, perhaps one of the industries hit hardest and most visibly by the virus. By some estimates, the disappearance of sports this year could erase at least $12 billion in revenue. We'll hear from two professional athletes, Los Angeles Lakers point guard Quinn Cook and Estonian volleyball player Lise Kulargen, about how the pandemic has impacted their season and training. Next, we'll hear from Dan Kurtz, who runs one of the most comprehensive statistics sites for South Korean baseball. With the Korean Baseball Organization one of the few professional sports competing right now, there is a new interest in following the league. Finally, we'll speak with Caroline Kurdes, a Medill colleague of ours who's looking into the unprecedented delay of the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. So stick around. Perhaps one of the first major indicators of how deeply COVID-19 would disrupt our lives was when the NBA suspended its season starting on March 12th. The NBA is suspending the season. I say that understanding that as we speak, the game in Dallas is continuing. The Los Angeles Lakers were gearing up to have a momentous season, going 49-14 and rising to the top of the Pacific Division. COVID slammed the brakes on that momentum, however. We chatted with point guard Quinn Cook to hear about how the pandemic has affected his training and outlook on the game. Quinn, we really appreciate it. We're really excited to have you here with us. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. First thing I wanted to bring up is the season um, officially ended about two months ago. And I wanted you to sort of take us back to what you were thinking when the league first suspended and how your mindset has probably changed since then? You know, sometimes we don't really appreciate just our routine, really. Um, you know, we're we're so accustomed to spending our day coming back home and, and watching sports. So we're so comfortable just moving around freely with, you know, no regard on, you know, uh, people's cleanliness and, you know, just not being six feet away and stuff like that. So I think this has given us a, a different perspective appreciate things. I know for me, um, not being around my family and my teammates and my friends as much as possible um, makes me appreciate that even more and stuff like that. So uh, I appreciate um, the fact that the world, the country, you know, the NBA has thought about our, you know, our safety and, and, and our health first before anything. Hey, Quinn, can you just walk us through what a normal day uh, looks like for you during the pandemic in terms of training and staying motivated? Um, you always stay motivated. Uh, you know, I think uh, that's what makes you know us competitors. You know, always my final way to stay motivated. Um, obviously, our resources um, aren't as strong. You know, you can't just go to any regular gym and get a workout. In. So for me, you know, um, I'm in LA, and they just opened our practice facility back up. So you know, that's that's been good for me, getting back in the gym, trying to just stay as locked in as possible because. You know, we all want to get back to, you know, playing and, uh, you know, we still, you know, have a job to do. And uh, so trying to stay in as much shape as possible, trying to get as much work in, in my house as possible. Um, I have a nice setup in my crib and, uh, you know, I just try to, you know, still try to stay on my diet and stuff like that and try to stay, you know, um, locked into, you know, the common goal. I also want to ask you about 
you and your teammates. So what are you guys doing to check in and keep each other motivated, whether that's like sending texts or uh, getting a workout in at the same time? Um, you know, we're all pre- we're definitely all pretty close. Uh, not not pretty close. We're all really close. Um, I think uh, that's what made our team so special this year. So we're always still, you know, communicating through text, through our group chats, FaceTime each other, keeping up with each other on social media. You know, I've been live a couple times with my teammates, um, a couple of my teammates on on Instagram, and I mean, nobody's really pushing anybody. Uh, uh, everybody just really like enjoys talking to each other. We enjoy. You know, just checking on each other and stuff. Um, uh, every, every, everybody, you know, in this case, all the conversations, man. LeBron does a great job with just leading. Um, you know, Jared Dudley is 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 one of the best vets. You know, guys like Danny Green. I mean, everybody on our team, um, you know, is very still engaged in all our lives, and uh, you know, it's fun, man. It's, it's a fun team to be a part of. That's really the biggest thing. You know, our bond is. Uh, is great, and that's also you know made us made us stronger going through these circumstances. So, Quinn, I kind of wanted to uh, talk to you uh, briefly a little bit about how the season was going because you your team was uh, definitely slated to at least get to the finals, best record in the West. Did you have any disappointment? Can you take us through some of those emotions that you were going through, considering that the team was doing so well? Um, for me, um, you know, I. Obviously, you know, we, we we were number one in the West and, you know, we were playing really well at the time. But, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, I can speak for the general, you know, athlete and anybody who was in my profession. I mean, you know, if you're on a good team or not, you know, we use basketball as our sanctuary, as our getaway. So that's really the biggest thing. It's something that we, we, we've always had. We've always sort of relied to when we go through stuff, you know, whether it's working out, going to practice, going to the arena to play. You know, getting just just spending time with your teammates on the on the bus on the plane, that's like our getaway, that's our sanctuary. So that's probably been the toughest part. You know, even though we're we're one of the top teams in the league, and even the bottom teams, I mean, I I I know they were, you know, want to get back to playing as well. So it's a it's a very unique situation that we're all going through. Quinn, I wanted to ask you about. Uh, it looks like people are saying the league might come back as early as like July. So how do you think play will look different? Does that hurt or um, help your team's chances of success? Um, yeah, man, I just I just heard about the no fans. Well, obviously, people want to stay away from like large gatherings, so I don't know if fans will be allowed. Um, you know, Lakers, we have the best fans in the world. You know, we definitely use you know our fans to our advantage. Um, even on the road, you know, when we go travel places. Um, our fans are everywhere. It doesn't matter where we are. Um, Laker Nation travels. I think we lose an advantage there because our fans are, you know, just so instrumental at our games. But at the same time, it's like, you know, we play pickup in the summer where there's no fans. We play, you know, we practice with no fans and stuff like that. So um, I think and we, we our adrenaline will get going and stuff like that. So we'll be fine. But uh, it'll definitely be, you know, we'll definitely be missing the fans out there for sure. The documentary that you're an executive producer on, uh, Basketball County in the Water, is about a young up-and-coming talent coming out of uh, Prince George's County. I spent the early part of my life in PG County as well. I say all that to say, have have you been talking to some of these younger uh, prospects um, who are really looking to the season or the, the end of the season to sort of get those highlights, get those clips um, to sort of start their basketball career. Have you been talking to some of those guys? And what is your advice 
for some of the younger players who are, you know, going through this challenging time? Just stay solid. I mean, just stay encouraged. Um, you know, my like like my little brother Anthony Cowan, a guy who was having a great year and he didn't get a chance to, you know, finish off his career in the in the, in the NCAA, you know, tournament. Like my heart goes out to him. All my little bros, him. I talked to Jeremy Roach. I'm going to Duke next year. Chris Likes, you know, uh, Prentice Hub. I mean, all all my all my young guys. I always try to check on check on them and make sure they're doing, you know, what they're supposed to do and just try to give them encouragement. Obviously, like I keep saying, this is a very unique time, so you know it's different. Um, so I, I I really don't know what to tell them. You know, just stay, you know, um, stay always realize you know what the common goal is. And the common goal for us is, you know, when we get back rolling, you know, we we we, we still got to perform. I thank you, Quinn. We appreciate you. All right, appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. After weeks of a barren professional sports landscape, ESPN finally broadcasted a live game on May 5th. The matchup between the Samsung Lions and the NC Dinos for opening day of the South Korean baseball season. The fourth largest city in South Korea today plays host to the LG Twins and the Samsung Lions. ESPN's agreement to bring baseball to millions of sports-deprived Americans was particularly wonderful to Dan Kurtz, an ultra-fan who runs a statistics website about the Korean League. Kurtz chatted with us about his love for the sport and the joy it could bring to a new audience. Oh, and just a quick heads up, Sarah's cat Ethel, a bastion of joy and happiness, makes a special guest appearance on this one for your listening pleasure. So can you just start by introducing yourself? Sure. Uh, My name is Dan Kurtz, and I am the founder of MyKBO.net, which is a website dedicated to the Korean baseball organization and baseball in Korea. Great. So how did you first become a fan of Korean baseball? Sure. Well, first of all, I am adopted from South Korea. I was adopted when I was four months old, and I did not return to South Korea until I was 19 years old. I grew up most of my life in Eastern Pennsylvania. So I grew up a major sports fan of the Philadelphia Phillies, especially. So they were my baseball team. But whenever I travel abroad or go anywhere, I always try to find the local sports team. And I try to go to a game because I like, you know, seeing that sports culture. So when I was 19 years old, I went over with a group of adoptees and heard about first time I ever heard of because when I was 19 the internet was not what it is today there was no Wikipedia there was no Google I was I was on a tour I was literally on a tour bus and we were going past the one stadium and the tour guy goes that's where they play pro baseball and it was just like I opened it I was like wow they have a pro baseball league here that's awesome I got to check it out sometime and then didn't think about it until the following year when I studied abroad during my um, junior year sophomore year in college and it was that time in that fall, my friend who I got to know was like, you love sports, come with me, come to this baseball game, you're going to have fun. So I said, I'm all in for a baseball game. And as soon as I went to the game, and I heard the crowd, I was hooked. Because basically, the way I explain it was, it's a, it was like a rock concert going on in the stands, and baseball was still being played on the field. So for me, I was like, this is like the best of both worlds, because I love sports. And it's just like a party atmosphere in the crowd closest always the closest thing that I can come to here in America is like going to a major college football game. 
it's a big party for some, you know, for people it's loud, it's raucous. Um, some people don't even pay attention to the game. Some people are just there for the atmosphere. That's, that's, that is a KBO baseball game. I went to the university of Alabama, so I, I understand. that. So, you, so then you totally understand that. It, I mean, other, or I guess another, you know, my friends that are from Europe, they're like, they're like the closest we can think of is like going to our pro soccer leagues here in Europe or something like that, where they're just singing and chanting. Half of it was the fan culture that got me into the league. That's really interesting. So when did my KBOs, the website start? Sure. Well, the way that it started was like, again, this is early turn of the century, early 2000s. Back then, message boards and web forms were all the rage. So, I mean, this is before Reddit, this is before all that kind of stuff. So I decided to make a message board. Tourists and people working over in Korea would kind of post general occasionally like, hey, who's playing in the baseball league tonight? What time does the game start? that information was not readily available. So I'd chime in and be like, the game is being played tonight in at Chamshill at 6.30 p.m. and you can buy your tickets here. Just because I knew from experience. So I was still learning the Korean language at the time. I still am. So I put hand in hand, like learning more about the KBO, the baseball league with learning more Korean language. So I put that together and this decided, well, if I'm helping them, them, them on a message board, why don't I make a message board dedicated just to the baseball league? So I did that, but because the baseball league is very niche, very, very, very dedicated, small audience, and it still is. I was literally for the first couple months just posting to myself, literally the only member there going, here's the schedule, here's, here's what's happening. Few and few more people came to join it. And then after I changed the message board, I then switched it to a uh, website, which is now kind of news aggregation, stats, and anything like that. So I want to shift a little bit to kind of this you know, season that just started. So the first KBO game was on May 4th, right? Or it was May 4th for us? Yes. I'm in the States now. So it's always like a day ahead in Korea. So opening yeah. day in Korea was May 5th, but to watch it here and I'm on the West coast. So it was still, I was lucky enough to watch it on May 4th at 10 PM. Um, that's when their season kicked off. Usually it was supposed to have started. The original plan was March 28th, but because of the pandemic, it got pushed back by a month. Yeah, I can't imagine that kind of must have been really exciting for two reasons. You know, it was a, the first live sporting event that ESPN has broadcasted in so long, and it happened to be a KBO game. So what was that like for you? That was mind-blowing, surreal, overwhelming. I still can't believe it that I can sit here in the United States and turn on the largest sports network in America and they are playing live Korean baseball. And not only that, then they replay it various times during the day because right now there's no live programming. And just to see that like response, because I'm on social media as well with the, with the MyKBO website there. And so social media is, it brings out the best and it brings out the worst of people usually for any kind of subject. So I was like, okay, this will be interesting. When the KBO is up, let's see what kind of response it gets. I've been overwhelmed. It's been almost very positive. I've seen very little negative feedback, at least directed at me or in general comments about the league. And I think it just goes to show how much people here in the United States truly miss the luxury of sporting events, because I didn't realize how much of a luxury it was until it's not there for me anymore, because I like to sit down after my kids are in bed, throw on a game or something. I took it for granted and I will never take anything like that for granted again, because I, as a sports fan, truly miss that. And it's just kind of, you know, just watching sports is just kind of like gets you out of that. You know, I don't want to always watch the news about the pandemic and just seeing the number of cases and, whoa, the curve's not flattening. It's getting worse in this state. So it's just kind of like 
let's just have some positivity in my life and watch some baseball where I can just kind of zone out that kind of stuff. So I want to ask you about how kind of your website traffic has been. Normal traffic all the way up through until May 4th. My friend helps me out on the back end of the tech side. So I do some of it, but he does a lot of it. And we were just generally preparing for another regular season. May 4th rolls around. The ESPN deal gets announced that morning. Traffic that night during opening night. So I watch it on the West Coast. I think I lasted through like seven innings to like 132. I got, I got three little kids at home. I was like, I can't hang. Woke up. I, get, I checked Twitter. And boom, all I did was get message after message going. Like one of them stuck out to me for sure. Good news, your site's down. Bad news, your site's down. And I'm like, oh man, what's that mean? And then I went to go look at some of the stats. And compared to last opening day in 2019 to 2020, this, this past couple of weeks ago, it was 27 times more amount of traffic. So obviously, like you have this new audience, this different audience. Are you, is the mission of your website going to change? How are you kind of trying to serve these, this new audience or is it just steady how it has been? My, my mission, my goal, it wasn't even a mission. So basically I was geeky enough for 20 years to have been following this league and decided to put some sort of website together and I've been at it and then continuing. Um, my whole goal of the website, the whole goal of the message board when I began was to one, learn more about the league myself and then help others learn more about the KBO. So just provide that information to other fans because at the time there was no English dedicated website to them. I, because I've been back and forth to Korea now for the last 20 years, living, working, and now living in the United States, I just happen to be a geek and keep up with it. And so that's why it's more constant. And that's why I think the, the site has, you know, been there for that long and now receiving the attention and I'm flattered, but it was never my goal to make, make all these media appearances. So I don't think I'm going to change anything right now. We're just trying to do it as a service to help kind of promote the league. And just because I feel a connection to Korea because I was adopted. And so I think it's great that people are learning, one, Korea has a baseball league. And two, I take great pride that, you know, more people in America are now all of a sudden finding out about this league. My hope is for, for new fans that are watching it, that they begin watching and they go, you know what, this is a really cool game. I keep on hearing about the fans. I want to experience it for myself. So I hope that they actually, like, you know, go something outside the norm and be like, you know what, it's time to travel. Why don't I go to Asia? Why don't I go to see a Korean baseball game and then try, you know, try Japan and Taiwan, just see what they're like. Just so it's different. It doesn't mean it's worse. It doesn't mean it's better. It's just different. And I think everybody should step out of their comfort zone and see what different is like, because that's what got me into the KBO. Because if I would have been like, it's not the MLB, I don't want to see it. I would have never found out about this league and been intrigued by it for the last 20 years. Very cool. Um, well, thanks so much for speaking with me um, and, you know, sharing your love of the game with me. Well, yes, uh, it's, it's been an honor. Thank you for having me on. I hope, like I said, anybody that becomes a fan, because this is, the, this is 2020, it's, it's been an odd 2020. And the fact that I'm even talking to people about the league has been odd. I hope that, you know, once this new normal sets in and you're able to maybe continue watching other sports leagues, I hope that you remember that, Hey, the KBO is still around. Let's see what it's like. Come back in November. It's a fun, it's a fun league. And if fans are there, it's going to be incredible. And so hopefully fans get let back in Korea and then here in North American sports that we flatten the curve and Hey, fans are going to be able to go back. I can go watch my NFL team. I can go watch my major league baseball. So I'm hoping the same thing happens here in North America, just for the sake of everybody.
stopped everything. Nobody knew how long this situation was going to last and what kind of rules were going to be imposed in France because uh, our team was actually ready to continue training. Finally, when they said the season was over, it was already pretty difficult to get back. So I ended up making a road trip from south of France to Estonia, which was interesting. Lis Kulargen has played professional volleyball across Europe and is a leader on the Estonian national team. While finishing a tournament and training in France, her season was abruptly stalled as the pandemic swept across the continent. She remained on lockdown in France for over a month before returning to her home in Estonia. But she's made the most of her time in quarantine and even just this week was selected along with a small group of Estonian athletes to advise the Estonian Olympic Committee. Lise walks us through how she stayed both mentally and physically sharp as well as how she's preparing to ramp up her workouts as her country began opening their workout facilities this week. So just to jump kind of right into the issue at hand, can you explain how the COVID-19 pandemic has kind of impacted your training and the season? I mean, it stopped everything. I actually had a pretty difficult season this year and uh, I just uh, made an unfortunate team choice and uh, it ended up being a really bad fit. So my first half of the season was already terrible. And then in the beginning of this year, I was uh, looking for a new team and uh, finally was able to get to a really good team. And I arrived there in south of France in the beginning of March. And a week later, I was uh, in lockdown in south of France. So I had like five or six trainings with the team there. And yeah, that's where it stopped. It stopped all the trainings. We didn't know how long it was going to last initially. I think the quarantine there was supposed to be two weeks. And then they, uh, they added another two weeks. And now it ended on May 11th. But uh, actually, like there's a lot of restrictions going on until July, August even. So... Uh, it, it stopped everything for me. And now I'm back in Estonia, but I haven't been able to really team practice at all. Liz, so you mentioned, and then I was reading a little bit about it, the Baltic Women's Final Four tournament ended, and then you traveled to France after that, and you were quarantined in the country for over a month. You had the opportunity to go back to Estonia, but you chose to stay in France. Can you talk to us about that decision and why you chose to stay? Initially, I decided to stay because I really just arrived there and nobody knew how long this situation was going to last and what kind of rules were going to be imposed in France because uh, our team was actually ready to continue training. We continued to train until the Saturday before the Monday lockdown. So uh, most teams ended much earlier than that. So our team actually, I think they wanted to continue because they were having a really good season and they were playing European competition, not only in France. So uh, they had really big goals and they were kind of disappointed when they found out that, that they actually can't finish the season. So I thought, okay, like I just got there and there's still hope that the season will continue. So I will stay until they tell me definitely that the season is over. So uh, I stayed for that. And then finally, when they said the season was over, it was already pretty difficult to get back. So I ended up making a road trip from south of France to Estonia, which was interesting. And I had to be quarantined for 14 days in Estonia once I got back from France. And then I was really stuck in a small space, a small, small apartment. And I only had this one set of dumbbells and it was really, yeah, it was mentally really difficult to get myself excited for workouts and uh, kind of come up with things I wanted to do. Even though we have national team programs that we were supposed to do and those programs kind of took into account uh, that most people did not have equipment to normal equipment to work out. So there was a lot of burpees that we had to do during this quarantine. <laughs> And I saw that you were using kind of your Instagram as a platform to post 
you know, these quarantine workouts, these home workouts. What was kind of your, um, like, why did you do that? What was the value in doing that? Did you hope that other people could gain from kind of, you know, seeing you pushing on at home and maybe gain motivation from it? Actually, um, our national team or our um, Estonian Volleyball Federation, like some representative from there wrote to us and said, uh, if you could please uh, record some videos for uh, Estonian youth to follow and see what the professionals are doing and for them because you know everybody is stuck at home so they thought it could be motivational for the young players at back at home for them to see that I'm in quarantine I'm still working hard like the professional mindset kind of and also to keep them occupied to kind of make it a little bit a little bit fun so I did some challenges um, but yeah, initially it was just, uh, it was requested by the Federation and then I just, uh, uh, I got good feedback. So I thought I will keep posting some of the videos and people were asking me, I mean, sometimes about the exercises, but sometimes also like, what app are you using? Like, so I, I think I could be a spokesperson for this app now the uh, in shot that I was using. So I just continued because it seemed like people liked it. And it seems like a lot of Baltic players have started doing these challenges. Was any of it driven by challenging some of the other players? I mean, there were a lot of challenges going around at some point, And like, it was just a way to keep myself entertained as well. Uh, but now I'm seeing, I'm actually seeing that coaches are contacting me more about next season because they saw that I was motivated, I stayed in shape, which I didn't even think about initially, I guess. But uh, it's good for me because I had a difficult season and I don't really have so much game video to show. But if I show that I'm in this situation, still motivated and working hard, then that's attractive for coaches as well. So in a way, I'm still, uh, it's like marketing myself for a job for next year, you know. Okay, and I want to ask, how has the pandemic affected you and your mentality as an athlete? And how do you stay sharp? I think I've always been a hard worker and dis really disciplined. The fact that I had a really difficult season from the beginning made this transition easier for me because since January, I had already been working out on my own without a team. And uh, it was all self-motivated to find a good team and to be ready when I find that good team. So I was already kind of doing it before the pandemic started. And then when it started, I noticed that a lot of my teammates, whether they were in, uh, you know, Estonia, my national team girls in other clubs around Europe or whoever, I noticed that it was much harder for them to transition from everything being uh, really structured and everything being done in a team to kind of being self-motivated and doing these things on their own. And I, I think I kind of had a benefit in that sense. Thank you so much for joining us, by the way. That's, that's awesome to hear your story. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Since 1896, the Olympics have only been canceled three times, once because of World War I and twice because of World War II. Caroline Kurdes, a Medeal MSJ candidate specializing in sports reporting, spoke with us a bit about the historic delay in the 2020 Tokyo Games and the unique steps athletes have been taken to make the most of their situation. Caroline, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time. It is my pleasure and it's an honor to be here, Alec. Tell us what the story that you're working on is and then get into how you came to that story and where the idea came from. 
Absolutely. So this story came about when I realized that for the first time in history, the Olympics had been postponed until July 2021, as of right now, um, in an effort to assist in the containment of the COVID-19 pandemic. And my thesis idea serves as an opportunity for qualifiers, hopefuls, IOC committee members, and retired Olympians to share a voice. And although athletes may not be able to stand on the podium this summer, uh, my thesis was created with the intention of of giving them a voice during this year's unprecedented series of events. Hey, Caroline, this is Joe. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, can you tell us about a few of the conversations you had with some of the athletes? What are, what are some of the things that they were talking about? So Sandy Morris comes to mind. She is my spirit animal. She has blonde hair, a really beautiful smile that brightens up a whole room. Uh, she's was the 2016 U.S. pole vaulter, and it was by far the most incredible interview I've ever had, mainly because it really showed me uh, a real aspect into her life during the interview. Um, her niece and nephew came by, her nephew's three and her niece's eight, and she was babysitting them. Um, and Sandy's a huge animal lover, and she has two dogs and a parakeet or two, a snake, and the animals came and said hello as well. A lot that I've been realizing is that these Olympians, we tend to put them on a pedestal, but really they're they're humans just like us. They have families, they have pets. Uh, they tackle challenges from an athletic standpoint on a much greater scale than we can ever imagine. And I think as a former athlete myself, that's where a lot of the inspiration for this came along. Her original training site was in Arkansas. And as soon as the pandemic hit, she called her parents and she said, so I might be coming over to South Carolina to hang out with you guys for a couple months. And so she moved with her mini zoo, with her two dogs and a snake and a few other animals um, back to South Carolina with her parents. And when she was there, she reached out um, to her sponsors and saw if it would be possible to receive a pole vault pit. Um, and she ended up setting up this pole vault pit by herself during these difficult times, because as a pole vaulter, you really need access to that equipment. You can still do drills and do strides and core work and other strengthening, but you know, you need to hone your craft on an actual pole vault runway. Um, so it was really incredible to hear how she used her hands and feet with the help of her father to really build her future toward the road toward Tokyo 2021. Now that the games have been pushed to 2021, how has their training changed? How has their diet changed? How has their, how have their moods changed? Can you talk a little bit about that? So you have essentially athletes lives that are being postponed for one year after their original retirement was set out. Sandy Morris has a husband, Tyrone Smith, who's a, an Olympian long jumper from Barbados. Um, and she mentioned to me that Tyrone took it harder than I did. Rio 2016 didn't go as well as he wanted. And that's what pushed him through another training cycle. He didn't want to end on a bad note. Um, and it was a she said that it was a rough road for him and he did incredible things to really adapt to his training. He created a runway that was longer for his approach. He was training at a local high school and he physically extended the runway with his hands and feet. He had to go out there with shovels and dig out the long jump pit himself because it was so over, overgrown by grass and he invested hours of his own manual labor and he manicures it himself. He's also a full-time MBA student at the University of Texas. And he was able to pull it off, you know, for this past year to be a full-time student and training uh, as an Olympian after once he was done with his classes. But to do pull that act for another entire year is is really tough for some of these athletes. 
Just out of curiosity, Caroline, have you been able to talk to any coaches or um, sort of uh, team representatives that uh, may have had to change how they, you know, train athletes and how they work with their athletes? Have you been able to have those conversations? And if so, what do they look like? Absolutely. So I had a chance to speak with Dane Blanton, who was a USA 2000 gold medalist in beach volleyball. And Dane Blanton is a current coach. Yeah. He mentioned that he, the situation is providing individual athlete sports with a slight advantage over team sports um, or those sports that require specific facilities and equipment such as pools, just because volleyball is a team sport and you really need your teammates to practice. And I asked kind of, you know, what methods are they doing to to ensure that their athletes are engaged and staying in shape. And he said that they've been providing their athletes with essentially care kits and providing them with weights to keep training at home. But it's still, it's really hard to replicate that experience without having your teammates by your side and your coaches with the same approaches that they would. I would love to hear a little bit about how you sort of are looking at this in terms of um, like as an athlete, how you see the future, not just of the Olympics, but in terms of competitive sports in general, what do you think we can expect? Because sports at the end of the day is such an important part of our culture around the world. What do you think this will look like moving forward? Absolutely. That's an incredible question. And I think even now with MLB base, you know, MLB, we are seeing that they're looking to open up beginning of July, but they have some pretty strict rules and no fans. And really, what does that mean for us athletes that are really accustomed to the wild cheers of the stadium that I ran the Chicago marathon in last year in 2019. And what really got me through that 26.2 miles was the momentum of the crowd and to not have the crowd to carry you through or the support of your loved ones there. What does that mean for us as athletes? And I think it's a really turbulent time to find ourselves in. And even recent articles from Tokyo are Um, You know, the Japanese prime minister and other individuals involved are stating that if COVID does not end up getting better, they will no longer be postponing. There's a chance that the Olympics might get canceled entirely, which I think while I'm interviewing these athletes and they're doing the best that they can to adapt to the situation, there might not be an Olympics next year either. Um, As someone that was a former Division I athlete myself, I've been talking to a few former teammates and it's really heartbreaking to see their hard work for these for the past four years and now their seasons are completely came to a really abrupt and unexpected end. We've been seeing so many events, not only Olympics, but professional events, leagues, everything is canceled and it's really turning everyone upside down. And how do we, I think that's a question ultimately that we're trying to tackle as well. How do we move forward? How do we still embrace the culture and sports in a new way that's safe for everyone to play all around the world? Yeah, I think that's as good a place to leave it off as any. Caroline, thank you so much for joining us. We couldn't appreciate it more. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week on Six Feet from Normal. We hope you enjoyed these stories. Tune in again next Friday and be sure to share this episode with your friends and family. In the meantime, check out our website at covidanalyzer.nationalsecurityzone.org and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Medill on the Hill. Until next time, I'm Joe Snell. I'm Alec Bose. And I'm Sarah Wilson. Take care and stay safe, everyone. You know, you know.
thing to end. It's time for this thing to end.